Thanks again, Ben. Um, Timothy, can you go back to that last slide of that song, please? Well, and open them to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're going back to this chapter because we started something a couple weeks ago and didn't finish it. All right, and we want to finish what we start. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 16 this morning. And uh, there were, you may remember, there were three people in this chapter that had stories to tell. Now, I encouraged you as we looked at Timothy two weeks ago and how God used his life, his story, to encourage and challenge and change the lives of others, not to look down upon the story that God has given you. Every one of us that are sitting here this morning that know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we have a story We have a story of reconciliation. We have a story of grace. We have a story of salvation. We have a story that God gave to us. He came. He interacted in our lives. He intervened in our lives. He changed who we were. He changed our story. The end of our story was separation from God in a place called hell. He changed that for those of us who know Jesus as our Savior. And he gave us a new end to our story. And that end is in glory forever with him in a place called heaven. If I go away, I'll go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. God is busy preparing a place to take us home to be with him for all eternity. We, I read the words to you, that song, My Story, Your Glory. The story that you and I have to tell of salvation, of how God changed our heart and changed our life, is a story that brings glory to him because only he could make that kind of a change in your life and my life. So again we say, to God be the glory. So the first story that we looked at last, last time we were together here was the story of Timothy, who was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. He was saved. Um, we looked at his, his seed and we saw how he had, he came from a, a mixed family, if you will. His mom was a Jew. His dad was a Gentile. His mom was a follower, a lover of God. His dad was not. Um, and yet Paul said to him, Timothy, I know your history. I know your story, how God used your mom and your grandma and the scriptures which are able to make us wise unto salvation to change your life. And once his life was changed, at a young age, Paul encouraged Timothy to go with him and be involved in ministry. So we saw his seed, we saw his story, we saw his service, and all of that led to him surrendering to the will of God. Timothy willingly surrendered his life to the ministry that God called him to. Now, Timothy did not necessarily have an easy ministry. He was a young man. Paul left him at the church in Ephesus, which was a a, a kind of a thriving church at the time. And he said to young Timothy, remember, this is where that verse, where Paul says, let no one despise your youth. Okay, Um, as a young pastor, probably in his 20s, maybe even not yet in his 20s, Paul says to him, I want you to set in order the church there in Ephesus. What? In other words, there's some changes that need to take place. There's some things that need to be brought to their attention so they can grow and they can be all that I want them to be as a local body of believers. And Timothy, you're the man. 
to do that. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. You simply be faithful. You honor the word of God. You do what God wants you to do. And you teach and train these individuals to do the work of the ministry. That's where that verse, Ephesians chapter 4, comes from. Uh, Verse 12 where it says, And God chose some to be pastors, teachers, and gave them as gifts to the church. For what? To do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ so that they might work together, pastor and and congregation, to reach the people God has placed them in, the community where he he has planted them, to be a light in a dark place, to work together for the, the betterment of society. You want society to be better? It doesn't have anything to do with politics or government. It has to do with the child of God living out the word of God in the place where God has placed them. That's what we see changes people for all of eternity. And as people are changed, so is society. Mind you, it goes the other way too. As people are changed from what's bad, because everyone is bad, to worse... Unless God intervenes and unless the gospel is shared and people's lives are changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it can't get any better. Okay? So we want to see God use us for his honor and for his glory. So we move on now into the second story, the second testimony, the second individual that we want to see who here in Acts chapter 16. This is a person by the name of Lydia. And Lydia was a dealer of purple. Okay, but more importantly, the fact that she was a dealer of pearl, and that must have been somewhat important because uh, we don't get a lot of information about this lady named Lydia, but the Holy Spirit chose to tell us that she was a seller of purple. Okay, I forgot, I didn't even think of that when I wore my purple shirt this morning. Jim and I were kind of going together here on this purple shirt thing. Okay, Um, so Lydia is a dealer of purple. In other words, she sold her goods to those who were in royalty, who were wealthy, who were um, something that was not just the average Joe on the street, okay? She was a dealer of purple, so she was a wealthy individual. But again, more importantly than that, Lydia was one who was interested in spiritual things. Take a look at verses 11 through 15 of Acts chapter 15 with me. It says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, And the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were starting in that city for for some days, staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath, here they are, now this is where the ministry part of this kicks in. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who were there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household heard they were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So Lydia, this seller of purple, was interested in the things of God. In fact, she worshipped God. Now, who does that remind you of? Does anybody come to mind as you think about an individual who does not yet know God personally, yet they worshiped God? We looked at him a couple of weeks, excuse me, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, 
Cornelius, who had an Italian band, uh, now that's not a Marachi band either, who he led, okay? This man, Cornelius, didn't know God personally, yet he worshipped God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was at work in his heart and at work in his life and convicting him of sin. People that don't know God, don't know Jesus, don't worship him unless the Holy Spirit is at work in their heart. That's one of the major things that the Holy Spirit is responsible for as a ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that is convicting people of their need of Jesus. Convicting people of their need to be rightly related to God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. If the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, then an individual doesn't come to know Jesus as their Savior. Okay? So the Holy Spirit was at work in Lydia's heart, helping her and convicting her and drawing her to the things of God. How do you know that, Pastor? How do you know that people don't, that aren't saved, that aren't under conviction, don't worship God? Because the Bible says, there is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to their own way. There is no one outside of the work of the Holy Spirit seeking after God. God draws people to himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was working in Lydia's life like she, like the Holy Spirit worked in Cornelius' life. And you know what? Neither Cornelius nor Lydia were in a place where they would hear the truth unless God sent someone with the truth to them. Think about that for a moment. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then later on in Romans 10 it says, um, How beautiful are the feet of those who spread the gospel, the good news of peace. Those who God sends out someplace for someone to hear the gospel as a, in a miraculous way. When that happens, it's a miracle that God sent that person and God's, God allowed their paths to cross or actually caused their paths to cross so that the gospel could be communicated to them and their lives would be changed for eternity. Lydia was going down to the river to pray. Why was she going down to the river? Well, there was no real place for her to pray in the city. Why not? It was not a God-fearing place. You see, in order for a synagogue to be in a certain place or a city, there had to be a certain number of men in that city that would go to the synagogue and worship. Otherwise, they never built a synagogue there. There were not enough men in the city where Lydia lived to build a synagogue, so they were searching for God because the, the Spirit of God was prompting them in that direction. So Paul knew, hey, let's go down where people would be meeting if they were interested in spiritual matters. And it's clear in the text that it says that the people that were meeting there were who? Women. Not men, because they weren't interested but there were women meeting there for the purpose of prayer. So Paul goes there to pray and to preach. What have we done so far this morning? We've prayed and we've preached and we've sung songs. Those things are the importance of worship. Those are what takes place as we worship God. So let's move on in our text and let's see what happens here. Lydia receives the gospel of, of the, the gospel message. Um, we've talked about this before. 
How does a person come to know Jesus as their Savior? Without the the preaching of the word, there cannot be salvation. Salvation comes through the gospel preached, and the, the gospel preached. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? Word of God. Paul preached the gospel message. Paul preached the 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 word of God to Lydia. And then just so you know what the gospel message is, let me just read for you what Paul considers to be the gospel message. We find it over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read it quickly for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4 says, For I delivered to you, this is the gospel, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What scriptures, by the way? The Old Testament. The Old Testament said that the Messiah would come and would die. Isaiah is full of a suffering servant coming to pay the penalty and satisfy the just demands of a holy God. So he came, he died according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren, at once of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep. You see, that's the gospel message, that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, the death couldn't, the grave couldn't hold him, death couldn't keep him, he rose from the dead, he defeated the grave, he defeated death, he is alive, he has now made possible for us to be reconciled to a holy God. Hallelujah, to God be the glory. That's what the gospel message is. That's what Paul preached to Lydia. Lydia received the gospel message. She said, I want to know more. I need to know more. I need to hear what this is all about. So at the riverside, they preached to the women that had gathered for prayer. Boy, do you think you want to talk about immediate answer to prayer? These women had gathered at the river to pray. What were they praying for? They were praying for God to work. And along comes Paul and his missionary team. And God used them to preach the message, to preach the gospel. And Lydia receives the gospel. But notice the detail here. Paul, it specifically says Paul was the preacher. But Paul wasn't the one who opened the heart of Lydia. Who opened Lydia's heart? Paul preached and God opened Lydia's heart. We need to understand that. that. That truth needs to be very clear. We don't open people's hearts. We don't save people. It's all God. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit convicting and, and convincing people of their sin. It's the work of Christ dying on the cross of Calvary. It's the call of God in an individual's life. And I'm going to go one step further and say that if God has called you, there ain't no way you're saying no. At, you might say no the first time, and the second time, and, and the third time, but at some point, God has called you, you will say yes. You have a divine appointment with God on that matter. And God will save you. It's called irresistible grace, and we're not going to get into all of that stuff. But know this, our God is sovereign, and when he calls a person to be saved, that person will be saved. And God will do amazing, incredible, miraculous things in that person's life to bring them to him. Even if it means sending somebody to a place that they didn't plan on going... But God said, you need to go there, and you go there, and you preach, you teach, and people get saved. 
That's God at work. That's the miracle of salvation. Those are the details that sometimes we read over and we miss. We can never say, I led so-and-so to Christ. No, you didn't. God did. God might have used you, and what a privilege that is, when God reaches down into his earthly toolbox and pulls you out and says, go, and you get to share the gospel with somebody, and they get saved. God did it. That's the importance of being obedient. Going when God says go, doing what God says to do. And Paul was willing to do that. Paul was willing to be the messenger of the good news of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brought about conviction that saves, and and God is satisfied by the confession of one's heart and mind and turning to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Lydia did that. She received the gospel message. And then we see that Lydia responded to the gospel message. Can I tell you this? When God opens a heart of a person, the person responds by believing the truth of God that has been revealed to that individual. God gives revelation as it's needed. Now, his revelation is complete. The, the word of God is in our hands. We have it. His revelation is complete. We're not going to get any more revelation, okay? But God is going to use that revelation to open the hearts of individuals. And when a heart is opened by the work of the Holy Spirit, that individual will, re- will respond to the gospel message. It says in the text, she believed and the people of her household also believed. They believed. What did they believe? They believed what Paul preached. What did Paul preach? We read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? That he was crucified, buried, and the third day he rose again. That's the gospel message. That's what he preached. That's what they believed. That's the same message that brings salvation today to an individual who needs it. There is no other message. That is the message of salvation. You can't work your way to heaven. You weren't born good enough to get to heaven. You must confess, repent, and trust in the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's what gets you into a right relationship with God. Lydia received and responded to that message. And then we see that Lydia reveals life change as she lives her life out before others. Not only does the gospel change our hearts, but it changes the way we do life. And and if there hasn't been a change in the way you do life, then you got to stop and wonder, was I ever really saved? Did I ever make a commitment to Christ that was real and genuine? Lydia's life revealed change. She lives out the work of the gospel in her everyday life. She says to Paul and his missionary team, which is probably at the minimum six people, probably more, but at the minimum six people, she says to them, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. Now, she hasn't been saved very long. She just got saved. But if you judge my conversion to be genuine, come to my house and stay. Come, Come let me be hospitable to you. And then it says, so she persuaded us. She was a salesperson, right? Says she was a seller of purple. You know how salespeople are, right? They can be very persuasive. Lydia, Paul says, she persuaded us. She wasn't letting us leave and go someplace else. She wanted us to stay in her house. Immediately, immediately, we see here 
the response of the salvation in Lydia's life. We see the life change. But you notice what else takes place in Lydia's life? She got baptized. There you go again, Pastor, with that baptism stuff. It's not me. It's right here. It's this book. It's the Word of God that says, after you get saved, after you have made a personal profession to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should be, no, not should, you must be baptized. And can I tell you, in fact, I don't have to tell you, we could go around the room and we could, ha- we could ask probably every person who is saved and then baptized, they, they could tell you the day of their baptism. Maybe not necessarily the calendar day, but they can tell you, hey, it was this pastor who baptized me. It was in this church. Uh, when we baptized people in South Africa, we baptized them in pools. I had a, a colleague who baptized people in, the, in a dirty old pond along the, uh, one of the highways. It was the only place they could do it, so they went down and they baptized right there. Um, and people know the day they got baptized. You won't forget it. If you were saved and you got baptized, you won't forget the day you got baptized. You will know it. It will be a memory that, the, that God keeps fresh in your heart and your mind. And you know what else? Every time somebody else gets in this tank, your heart fills with joy. And you're like, oh, praise, praise the Lord. What a blessing that is. What a joy that is to see that individual be obedient and follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. That's why we get baptized, because Jesus did it, and he said, I want you to do it too. You you see, you can't really follow Jesus without getting baptized. I'm not saying this baptism saves you. It just shows your willingness to be obedient, even in things that sometimes are difficult. Be obedient. Jesus did it. He said, you must do it. So we should happily, willingly say, yes, God, please. I want to get baptized. And we've told you before, if you want to get baptized, we'll fill the tank. Now, we do want to make sure you're saved. So you meet with the the leadership of the church. You share your testimony. We want to make sure that it's credible, that you did trust Jesus as your Savior. The good news is that if you, I shouldn't use the word fool, but if if you say you are and we don't, catch that you really aren't, or that you really are, you just get, you're a wet sinner. When you come out, you're still a wet sinner. Nothing changes. There's no grace, there's no empowerment from those waters to make you a new person in Christ. The only thing that makes a person a new person in Christ is the gospel message. Any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. If things aren't becoming new in your life, then you need to make sure that you know Jesus as your Savior. Life change is real. Life change is is evident to those around you. I want to share something with you. Again, you all know that I really appreciate the website called gotquestions.org. Okay? This is what they say there. I mean, they, they say a lot more, but this is how they wrap up the idea of who Lydia was. It says, The story of Lydia in the Bible is a great example of God's providence and care for his believers. Lydia was a worshiper of God, but like Cornelius, we've already mentioned him in Acts chapter 10, had not yet heard the gospel. If you, if you don't hear the gospel, you can't know Christ. You can't be saved. So Cornelius had to hear the gospel. Lydia had to hear the gospel. God rerouted Paul and his friends and also ensured that Lydia would be at the right place at the right time to encounter Paul and hear the good news of Jesus. 
And as Lydia heard the gospel, God opened her heart so that she received the life-giving message. In this story, so full of divine revelation, we see the sovereignty of God in salvation. As Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. We also see the immediate bond that a new believer has with other believers in Christ. Lydia showed hospitality to those who brought the good news, and she wouldn't take no for an answer. Can I encourage you that as you come across others who know Jesus as their Savior, that you show hospitality to them, you appreciate them, you, uh, you just commune with them in fellowship because you have the bond of Jesus Christ and salvation that you share. Well, let's, let's keep moving on. The next section or the next story that we're going to hear about and see in the text is the jailer simply doing his duty. The jailer, okay? Um, you know, sometimes jailers are not very well appreciated, are they? Why? What do jailers do? They make sure you do what you're supposed to do while you're in prison, right? And, and you know, what kind of people are in prison? People who aren't accustomed to, to, to doing the right thing, right? That's why they're there, okay? So the jailer is doing his duty. He didn't, he physically did put Paul and his, his team in jail, Paul and Silas, but he didn't determine that, that they were the ones who had to go to pr prison. Somebody else determined that. So he was doing his job. He took Paul and he took uh, Silas and he put them into the inner part of the prison because that's what he was told to do. And then when he put them in there, he locked them to the wall. He bound them in chains, wrists and feet to the wall, doing his job, doing what he was supposed to do. He was, you know what this guy is? He's Mr. Ordinary. He doesn't sell purple to royalty. He, he simply does what he's supposed to do. He's a lot like most of us that are sitting here this morning, simply doing what he does to make a living, to provide for his family, and yet God intervenes in his life. God sends somebody to interact with that individual. Why? Because God called that jailer to come to know Jesus as his Savior. That's the way God is. That's the way God works. God used individuals to accomplish his will in the life of this jailer. So, story number three is about an ordinary guy, about as ordinary as you can get. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. He was privileged to see God do some amazing things to draw him to a right relationship with himself. Let's look at it. As we read this section, I'm going to read it for you. I want you to pick out the word that seems to be the main point of this text, okay? You listen, I read, you pick out the word. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, did she say anything wrong? That, that slave girl? Who was, it, who was filled with demons. Did she say anything wrong? No, it's kind of amazing that the demons would proclaim the truth about God. 
But that's what they did. This, this man proclaims the truth about God, and we need to listen to him. It goes on, the text does verse 18, and this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace and to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. Then the multitude rose up against them, And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The word was there once, but it's throughout the passage. Anybody pick it up? Paul was annoyed, okay? Paul was, he kind of was upset. He was, he was a little ticked off with this girl going around following him because she wasn't adding to the message of the gospel. The way she was saying it was actually distracting from the message. Even though what she was saying was not necessarily wrong, the way she was saying it and the fact that everybody knew that she was a demon-possessed girl who was used to tell fortunes for witchcraft purposes, it was a mockery of what was going on there as Paul preached the gospel. Okay, So Paul was annoyed with him. The word is annoyed. The slave girl was annoying to the group. Okay, you know She was going around sticking her nose in where it didn't belong. Uh, she was annoying to the group, and she was preventing the gospel from being, or at least she was trying to prevent the gospel from going forth. Paul was definitely annoyed with her. And then here's the next annoyed thing. The girl's masters are annoyed with Paul and Silas for casting out the demon and taking away their profit-making business. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were not happy. So much so were they annoyed that they grabbed a hold of Paul and Silas, the preachers in the group, and they brought them before everybody, and they stirred up the crowd against them. So the multitude is now annoyed. And who are they annoyed at? Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are doing the right thing. They're preaching truth, and yet the, 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 the people who are sinful who are anti-God stirred up the crowd and caused them to now be annoyed at Paul. It's easy to work up a large crowd. It's easy to get their blood boiling, if you will. And that's what these owners of this slave girl did. And so after that, who becomes annoyed? The magistrates are annoyed. Excuse me. Because Paul and Silas uh, are Jews and the crowd seemed to be ready to follow their teaching. But wait a minute. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not even in Israel. They're in a Roman colony. Who do these people think they are trying to get people to follow after the Jewish ways of belief? That's a bad thing. So the magistrates are annoyed. Paul's annoyed. The girl was annoying. The masters of the girl were annoyed. The crowd was annoyed. Everyone seems to be annoyed. As a result of freeing this girl from the demon, 
Paul and Silas, even though they did the right thing, ended up getting what? They were severely beaten. And if that weren't enough, what else happened to them? They were thrown in jail. And, and you can tell from the text that the jail they were thrown into was not like the jails we have today. Okay? It was a dark, dreary, dungeon-like place. And the magistrates threw them in, in jail and said, Make sure these men do not escape. All they were doing was preaching the gospel. But make sure they don't escape. So the jailer puts them in the inner jail and locks them hands and feet in the stocks, bound. There is no way that Paul and Silas are getting out of this place. They're stuck. We have to keep reading, though, because the story goes on. Verses 25 through 27, we're going to look for a another word here and you can guess what the letter what the word starts with okay that's a that's the biggest clue you're going to get until we read the passage okay verses 25 through 27 but at midnight now what's gone on before the but a bunch of pretty negative things for Paul and Silas right like they were beaten they were thrown in prison can't get much worse but at midnight get this Paul and Silas were doing what praying and singing hymns to God and the prison, in other words, they were praying and praising. Does that sound familiar? First Wednesday of the month, praying and praising, praising and praying. You can do that too, all right? That's just a little side note. Um, praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Hmm. Guess what? God's at work. And the keeper of the prison, that's the jailer who was simply doing his duty, the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, which he probably shouldn't have been doing, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself, but Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. What's the A word I'm looking for? I'll give it to you. It's attitude attitude who's at what's what's the attitude we're looking for paul and barnabas who had or paul and silas who had every right to be upset who had every right to be frustrated who had every right to say god what are you doing why is this happening to us that was not their attitude was it their attitude was let's praise god let's pray let's sing hymns and and it wasn't like me singing quietly. I don't, actually, I don't sing quietly, do I? Um, it wasn't like me. It wasn't just, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. They were singing out so everyone could hear. And you know what? It says, and the other prisoners were listening. They were hearing Paul and Silas pray. We don't know what they were praying. I, I think I have an idea what they were praying about. I think they were praying for the people that they had the opportunity to share the gospel with that day, that they would respond. And I also think that they were praying for the people that beat them and put them in prison. Why? Because that's what Jesus says to do. Pray for them to despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. So the attitude of Paul and Silas, they could have been discouraged. They could have been like, oh, this is the last time I'm doing that. Forget this stuff. I'm not doing that again. We didn't deserve that. They could have had a woe is me kind of attitude. 
But they didn't, did they? They had an attitude full of praise for what God was doing in their lives as they were locked, hands and feet, to the wall of the prison. But pastor, how does that happen? How how do you have that kind of an attitude? Well, it's pretty clear from the text. What were they doing? How did they control their attitude? By praying and by praising. I'm going to tell you something right now. You might not believe it, and I guess I'm meddling a little bit or harping a little bit. But you know what? Wednesday night, when we have praise and prayer, if you come in here, what a a lousy day I had. This has been a terrible week. I just, you know what? I, I, I don't even know why I'm here. By the time you leave, after we've sung some pretty amazing songs, and we've had some opportunity to look briefly into a passage of Scripture, and then we've prayed for others, I bet those of you that are here go away pretty encouraged. Pretty th- I know I do. Pretty grateful for having the opportunity of been here and, and, and just being involved with your church family. Paul and Silas were praising and praying to God and seeing that they could, hey, I don't have to be upset. I don't have to be mad. I don't have to be frustrated. I don't have to be sad if I have the right perspective on life, that God is the sovereign God of the, of the universe. He's the creator. He's in control of my life, my situation, and my future. Let me do what I know I should do, pray and praise. They were also being witnesses to their other inmates. They were, they were communicating the good news to the other inmates. And, and all of this, they, they knew that Paul and Bar- Silas shouldn't have been cast in prison. They didn't do anything wrong. And as a result of their attitude, what happened? God delivered them. Miraculously. Even though they could have escaped, what do Paul and Silas do? They stayed put. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. They stayed where they were. And and they stayed as, as a result of their staying. You know what? God used them in the life of the Philippian jailer. Had they ran out when they had the opportunity? I won't say that the Philippian jailer wouldn't have got saved because God called him so he would have got saved, but somebody else would have maybe had the privilege of leading, them, leading him to Christ. That's the thing. When you and I fail to do what God asks us to do, God's not going to give up on that person. God might use somebody else in their life to bring them to Christ. Well, you missed out on a blessing. Not a notch in your belt but in a blessing to know, hey, God used me to communicate grace and truth and see this person come to know Jesus as their Savior. So you see, like Lydia, the jailer ministered to the needs of Paul and Silas. He too, guess what he was? Any guesses? He was what? Come on, you know what happened. He was saved, but what happened after he got saved? He got baptized! Surprise! No, it's not. Because that's what God says we're supposed to do. Like Lydia, the jailer got baptized and he was blessed in the same way as Lydia. Guess what the text says? His whole family came to know Jesus. Woo! What a joy. What a thrill. The chapter concludes on an interesting note. It says the magistrates, for some reason, decide to let Paul and Silas go. Maybe they saw all the incredible, amazing, miraculous things that were happening. So they said, hey, Paul and Silas, come here. We're going to let you go. We, we just want you to go out the side door, okay? 
Paul and Silas said, no way. We'll leave. We'll go. But we aren't going to you guys admit that you did something wrong. What? What do we do wrong? Well, Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. <gasps> a Roman citizen? You know, it was against the law to beat a Roman citizen. Those people could have been severely punished for what they did. Paul says, uh-uh. We're, we're going out through the main gate, and you guys are going to own up to what you did. Interesting that that would happen. If the magistrates wanted them to leave, they would have to come and lead them out and apologize for the way they treated these Roman citizens. We might wonder, why make such a spectacle? Why not just leave and, and, and be thankful? Well, Paul wanted to make a statement with his release. By being released publicly, you know what he was doing? He was establishing the point that Christianity was not an illegal activity and that those following Christ should not face persecution and imprisonment unlawfully in Philippi. He wanted those people to be able to worship freely. That was it. He wanted them to have the privilege that other people had to worship God, the one true God, freely because it was not against the law. That's an important statement to make. And Paul and Silas made that statement. So in, in Acts chapter 16, we learn the importance of submitting our desires to God and following his plan. Remember, Paul didn't plan to go to Macedonia as we started out the chapter. You might have forgotten that because I didn't tell you that this morning. Paul had no intentions of going to Macedonia. He had other plans. And yet, at night, God said, hey, uh -uh, I want you to go over there because he saw a vision. Vision called him over there. So Paul changed his desires. He changed his plans to fit God's plans. What a lesson that is. Sometimes we have to change our plans to fit into God's plan. As Paul and Silas submitted to God's will, they saw that God's way was right. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 come to mind, doesn't it? What does it say there? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. When we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, what does the Bible say God will do? He will direct your paths as we submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he, God, will direct your paths. We've also seen how the Lord brings different people into our lives and gives us the opportunity to serve him by communicating the good news to those people. In each case that Paul and Silas met these different people, what were they doing? They were living out their Christianity. That's all they were doing. They were living out their Christianity, and then God did the rest. God didn't ask them to do miraculous, incredible things. He simply said, live for me. And as Paul and Silas were living for God, God did the rest. God used them. How comforting it is to know that God does the saving and we don't have to worry about that. It's not our business. It's not our responsibility. We simply live for God, communicate the truth, and let God do what God does. We never know the outcome, but we know that God is always doing what God does best and what only God can do. We've also seen that sometimes God allows difficulties to come our way in Acts chapter 16. Difficulties for Paul and Silas, certainly, as they found themselves beaten and thrown in jail. What do we do in these opportunities of difficulty? Well, 
We see that Paul and Silas remained faithful. We see that Paul and Silas sang praises to God. Paul and Silas prayed to God, and they did it publicly. They did it openly. It may not always be easy, but it is always, can I tell you this, rewarding to serve our great God. He never lets us down. And by rewarding doesn't mean necessarily always fun. But the rewards, the eternal rewards, are out of this world for serving our great God. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you again this morning. Thank you for the stories of Timothy and Lydia and the Philippian jailer. Father, they teach us great lessons about how we should live life. We want to we be a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. We want to be a follower of the one true God. And when we are, we end up doing what you ask us to do. We, we end up rearranging, reordering, if you will, our lives to not necessarily fit our plans, but to fit your plans and your purposes. Father, we, we know that you can call people from all walks of life. You can call an individual like Lydia, who is fairly well-to-do and, and was a seller of, uh, of goods to wealthy people. And, and Father, you brought her face-to-face with the Apostle Paul, but more importantly, he brought her face-to-face with the truth of the gospel, and she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. She was baptized. She served you by serving others. And then the jailer. Father, he's doing his duty. He's doing what he was supposed to do. Living life, ordinary kind of guy, like many of us. And yet you broke into his life and brought him into a right relationship with you, Through the message that Paul and Silas delivered, the message of Jesus Christ, the one and only means of salvation. Father, help us to be individuals who live those kinds of lives, following after you, listening to your word, and doing what you ask us to do. Father, thanks for making us part of your family. And if there are any here this morning who don't know Jesus as their Savior today, I ask, Lord, that you would impress upon their heart the need to come and talk with somebody today who could share Jesus with them, communicate the good news to them, so that they might know Jesus for the first time. Thank you for your love for us. and In our Savior Jesus' name we pray. Amen.